you know, I, I just enjoyed the competition. And I think that's the one thing that, you know, you, it doesn't matter whether you, whether you win or lose, but you're enjoying it and competing. Hello and welcome to the Well You Mental Training Podcast. We're so excited. This is such a special guest that we have on today. We have tennis legend and Hall of Famer Rod Laver. And for me, being able to interview Rod Laver is such a humbling experience. And I'm so excited to explore Rod's journey with him into becoming one of the greatest tennis players of all time. As we get started, I feel I should premise this interview with a few stats which highlight his illustrious career. Rod was a rising star in the tennis world as a teenager, leaving school in his homeland, Australia, to pursue his tennis career. He played at the highest level of tennis at an interesting time when the sport moved from amateur to professional status. And in the interview, we explore a lot of his junior career when he came over and went into playing and competing in Wimbledon at the junior level and then working his way up into the professional ranks. As an amateur, he won all four majors in 1962, making him the second men's player ever to win the Tennis Grand Slam. And if you think about that, all the great tennis players like Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Djokovic, Sampras, Agassi, all those guys didn't actually achieve a Grand Slam. Rod actually did it twice. Once as an amateur, and the next time in the open era of tennis in 1969. It's an incredible feat, and we can't emphasize enough how big of a presence Rod Laver is in the tennis world. Overall, he has won 11 Grand Slam singles titles, and his 200 singles titles are the most in tennis history. He was quite simply the best tennis player in the world, ranked number one consistently for a seven-year span. From the Adidas shoe named after him and the Australian stadium, Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne, Australia, to the tournament he has more recently started, the Laver Cup, Rod Laver is just tennis royalty. However, he's a very, very humble and easygoing man. At tennis tournaments now, you will see him approaching the best players in today's game, almost as excited as any fan would be. He became a great athlete, and most importantly, he's a great person, and we are so honored to have him on the Well You Men's Training Podcast today. Hey, Rod. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Brian. We are so honored to have you here, and for you to share your wisdom and your experience with all the listeners. So let's just start at the beginning. What first sparked your interest in tennis? <clears throat> Boy, yeah, I guess family interest. I had two elder brothers that were you know, good tennis players, and I was generally, it was one of those things where the, 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 the two brother, elder brothers, because we had a tennis court in our backyard, and, and so I'd try and get one of the boys home before the other that way i could hit a few balls with some because once they both came home then hey hey kid <laughs> take a hike we're playing we're playing here and so that was that was you know the love of it i had my mother played mm. t- good tennis and so you know i started off at a i don't know i was probably 10 11 but uh, a coach in uh, rockhampton a fellow called charles mm-hmm. hollis he he was the the one that started me off with the stroke production. And I think 
that was the best thing that ever happened to me was he told me how to make all those shots work. And, and so you had to have a, a grounding. And I think that that's one of the things that helped. So it started as a family yeah. sport where you would just be challenging your brothers and your mother played. Yeah. And I think that was, that was, you know, and uh, of course, you know, Rockhampton, it, it, you played cricket okay. or tennis or football. And that, that was the way it was played. And I was too, too small to play football and, and cricket was, yeah, I love cricket, but I, you know, I was a better tennis player. So, you know, played, played all around Rockhampton and, and then got that, you know, a good opportunity to go with Charles, I mean, with Harry mm. Hopman. He was the, he was the captain of the Davis Cup team and, and he was, he, he took two juniors away, you know, oh, overseas wow. because he, and so the fella, there's a fella called Bob Mark. It was a, it was the Australian junior champion. And I was about four or five on the, on that, on that, that level. And so he, he decided to take myself and Bob, Bob Mark. And we went around the world for six, seven months. Had that, had a, had a, that was a, one of the best things that ever happened to me was being able to go to Wimbledon at age <laughs> 17 and then, and then, and then to the U.S. And so I had, you know, I had a, 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 a great opportunity at a young age. That's incredible. 17 years old, going yeah. to a famous event in a sport that you love, right? <laughs> like Wimbledon, yeah. right? The yeah. Mecca, right? What was that yeah. like? Do you remember? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it was my, I, I didn't know much about Wimbledon, I must admit. But, you know, at age 14, 15, 16, you know, you, 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 you're more in tune with the, the matches that you were playing. And there wasn't a lot of publicity of Wimbledon and or, or the U.S. Open. Yeah, there was the Australian, and I certainly we you know played in the juniors down there. And and I think you know it was a it was it was an opportunity to play in all the, these events at a young age. And I think that's probably where I got a lot of my grooming as a as a as a competitor. You know, trying to be able to understand how to play an opponent and and. A lot of times being a left-hander, you know, not many people were left-handed. So when I played someone, they think they didn't mm, know how yeah. to play me because they uh, they had no idea because we're both 17 or 18. And so, you know, that, that was, you know, a, a learning curve, I think, for me For too. you playing against them, competing, um, learning how to play with your strengths. And is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah no, I think that, that, well, it was the learning learning curve, but it was – playing against an opponent, you know, they, being a left-hander, they got to try and play you differently. And, and so when, when, when I'm playing them, they really, they can't play their game anymore. It's, it's, the feeling was that, you know, how, how do you play someone like this? And of course I had, I had a lot of spins on my serve and, and, and when I was hitting a top spin forehand or top spin backhand, you know, people never saw that. Mm. At a young age, so yeah, I I was just I was given the chance at a young age to play the way I wanted to play, and so I used these spins, which you know probably wasn't a smart play at a young age because I, I know I you know I I was talking to someone like Roy Emerson or Fred Stolle, and and he says they hit he says you know he hits he hits two good shots down the line, and the next one goes into the cheap seats <laughs> yeah. in the stands because you think. Oh, 
and 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 someone would, and they both would say, "God, if he ever if 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 he ever gets these shots to go in, you know, we all better look out." So that was that was sort of the way I sort of grew up thinking. Well, I'm just going to whack it as I want to do. But as I got my my arm got a little yeah. stronger, got a little little bit knowledge on how to play the game, and so yeah, that's 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 how yeah. I started out. And you've mentioned a lot of names already that had an influence in your career, and one of them you said uh, really changed your game from a young age with, with Charlie Hoffman. Um, Char- Hollis. Yeah, Charlie Hollis was the coach. Yeah, he was the coach that you know, he, you know, he had a, he's he was the only coach in town in Rockhampton, but but he was one of the best coaches that anybody could have ever had, and so you know, he he always he he not not only talked to you. And about strokes, but he 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 was going coming from experience. He would know some of the older players, whether it be Harry Hopman, Adrian Quist, uh, John Bromwich, mm-hmm. Colin Long. There's a lot of players that he had experiences with, so he he could impart that knowledge to me as well. Not that I was understanding all of it. He was trying to tell me, you know, these are the things you should look look to. You know, how about how about being a little more consistent in, with your strokes. Try to, you know, analyze, you know, what shots are working best for you. And I think that was, that that gave me the thoughts of, you know, how to win close matches. When you're playing a match and you're thinking, you know, then you'd hit hit two or three of them out and, the, oh, there it goes, oh, oh, that match is over. But, but it was strange. Actually, my first year at Wimbledon in 1956, and I'm playing outside, one of the outside courts, and there's a fellow guy called, uh, um, what's his name? <laughs> Orlando uh-huh. Sorolla. And he, he was wow. six, seven. And I'm, I'm, I'm about just, just over five feet myself. So it, it looked like an unfair yeah. competition. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was one of the areas that, that I think you understand some of the, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't win a set. You know that. But, but at this stage, I'm sure. only 17, and I'm sitting there with a guy about seven, you know, seven feet tall. <laughs> so, yeah. So you know that those experiences. Yeah, stay you learn with a you. lot through those uh, those experiences, especially early on, being exposed to all that. But I think something that you said that really stood out to me was being allowed to play your game and and hit the shots that you want to hit. And having, we, we've heard this so many times with other athletes on this podcast, having those key people in your life early on, whether they're coaches or parents or friends or mentors or whomever, you know, giving yeah. you the, the advice plus the freedom to really own your game. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, I didn't, I didn't know my game and, and, a, and a, you know, someone like a, you know, a Charlie Hollis or. Harry Hopman, who took me overseas, you know, certainly gave you the chance. But, but I think it's really up to you yourself on how how your game should unfold. And of course, you know the the heavy topspin forehand and the miss hit backhands. You know, you know, as soon as I I found myself with a little more strength in my arm to control these shots, I I kept yeah. doing it. And and I think that was the one thing in in behind my career was you know I I kept doing the things that mm-hmm. I wanted to do and I think that that 
I think probably came, you know, as, as big a curve as anything. So, you know, yes, you're, you're playing opponents that are better than you, but I think that was my curve was, you know, I'm, I'm getting better. And I think that, that was the thing that, you know, you know, a lot of the players were saying, you know, you know, he, he, he certainly mishits a lot of balls, but but when they're going in, you know, it's a, it's, it's a total different game. And of course, my confidence zoomed up when I got to be able to say, yeah, I can hit this shot now. And actually, when you pull it off, you know, that, that, that gives you the improvement that, you know, when you, when you're playing, playing a, a particular stroke, and, and it works for you, you know, your confidence soars about saying, hey, this is, and so, of course, watching the ball, yeah. footwork, there was lots of things that go with it. So I think the, the, the one thing that you know, I think as a, as a young junior in Australia coming up, we also had the likes of uh, mm. Lou Hode, Ken Rosewall, you know, Roy Emerson, you know, Ashley Cooper, Fred Stolle, We'd all go down to the back court and we'd play on these it was two on one mm. drills. So it meant there was two at two at the baseline and one at the net. And if, I, if I'm the one at the net, I've then they're not trying to pass me specifically, but they're trying to, to I'm, they're hitting it down the line and I know it's going down the line. So I'm ready for that shot, but I'm also ready if, cause the ball keeps in play. You know, they, they now find me on a two on workout. I don't. I don't get that opportunity to have a breather. Yeah. I've got to keep playing, and I. I think there that, that that was some of the workouts, but the two and one drills. So, so it could be reversed. The, the two players would be at the net, and the person at the baseline. And so you know that also works. So you know it's it it's those type of drills. Yeah, you, know, you 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 probably can only do this for ten minutes if you're and the gassed. one alone. But but then then you you think. But then you 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 stop and you take take over from one of the other two, and so the three of three of us would do around, do this workout all the way around. And I think that those type of drills, you don't have to hit the ball in. Yes, you're trying to keep it in, but that's not important. It was, it, but you had to think of footwork. Are you watching the ball? All the things that you know are working. And and if if you're lazy and you can't get to the ball, you know. Yeah, you know, mm. you're missing them. Yeah, you know, so you because you can't get your footwork set up, and so I think watching the ball to me becomes one of the most important parts of the game because it, it allows you your head and your feet to work in. Yeah, connection. that makes so much sense. It makes so much <laughs> sense, and it's so simple, right? When you figure that out. However, it's a very complex yeah. skill, and something that you've been talking yeah. about already is so useful for a number of other players to hear. It's about the work that you put in and how that eventually gets to confidence in when your arm develops and you're able to actually find more consistency with your shots. But there's so many mm -hmm. players that struggle with sticking with it. And, and I think like what you just talked about is drilling, keeping your mind focused in on the details of footwork and, um, you know, work ethic and all these things that kind of focus on the process rather than, oh man, I'm good or I'm not good at this or how can I keep going? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. It's, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it certainly is a learning curve. And, and the most important thing is, you know, when you get into matches, 
if you're 17, 18, 20, you know, you've, you've got to be able to understand and, and know how to win a match. And, and I think those two-on-one drills, you know, you know they, you have, they have you hitting cross-court, cross-court, cross-court. Then all of a sudden, you know, you, you understand that mechanic. And when you're playing matches against different opponents, uh, they haven't seen that, haven't seen you being able to pull that off. And I think, you know, if when you can pull it off and, 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 and get the upper hand in a match, you, you, you come off the court thinking, you know, that I, he, he's probably a better player than I am. But I actually pulled off one of the things that was my best. And, you know, maybe they don't know that I've got a good forehand. But, you know, that, that's the item of being able to, you know, stay, stay connected when you're playing a match. Don't, don't let your mind yeah. wander off to, you know, playing, you know, you know, yes, I've played this guy before. And, 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 and you, you're more worrying about the person other than saying, hey, it's, it's my match. I'm playing this match. And I think that's one of the important parts of how I improved. And, you know, yes, you, 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 there's ups and downs. I, I do remember one time when I was in, in London and, and there's, there's, there's in Queen's Club, which is, it's a indoor tournament and outdoor tournaments, everything. And, and they said, I said, yeah, you know, I was, what was I? I was 18 or 19 okay. at this stage. And, and I was playing so bad, I couldn't hit the ball in the court. And I, and I was telling my coach, not my coach, but the manager, I said, just send me home. I said, this is crazy. I can't, I, I'm really having, I can't, I can't make this work. And, and they said, no, no, yeah, let's, let's go and play a few drills of twos and two on ones and spend two days of just that. And I became the next player. In fact, I got to the final wow. Wimbledon that year. And so, you know, it, you, you just don't know your game until you persevere and put, put an effort into it. And yes, it was, it was nice that my, that my director didn't send me home. But at the same time, it was, it was, it was critical in my mind that I had to do something. It just had to be done. And, and that was how I guess wow. I got yeah, out. Yeah, that's a great story and a great example about perseverance. And it's so valuable. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's a ton of questions about what you just shared. But I wonder, you know, you have been titled both Australian and U.S. junior champion, I think, in 1957. Is that right? 56. I won the U.S. championship and the Canadian championships in 1956. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I've, I've had a, uh, a, a, I had a good career, you know, in, in 1956. I did get to the final of Wimbledon oh. juniors and, and then came over to the U.S. And, and I know the, the, the captain, you know, of Harry Hopman, who was there working with me at varying times. And he, 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 he put me in this tournament into a place called Kalamazoo and, and Champaign and Ottawa, those three tournaments. And I thought, yeah, this should be fun. And, and when I finally came back to the U.S. from Canada, I guess I was in, and, they, and he said, well, how did you do? And I said, well, I, yeah, I did it okay. And, and, and did you, did you win any of the matches? And I said, well, yeah, I won the, won the U.S. and I won the Canadian championships. And he said, you did what? <laughs> so, and, I, and I said, well, shit, I just, I just enjoyed every part of you know, the competition and persevered. And you know, some of the 
a lot of the players didn't know me. You know, that's my first time to the U.S. So, you know, you, 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 you live and learn some of the things. And some of the players that I played, whether it be Orlando Sorola that I played at Wimbledon, you know, in 1956, it was a learning curve. Yeah. yeah. Here's this guy with a huge serve. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, how do I get this back? So you, you know, you work around that side of it. You don't just throw your hands up and say, right. Oh, you're too good. And I, I yeah, couldn't yeah, say and that. It, that's so valuable for people to hear because you're talking about being solution focused to a big serve rather than, oh, mm. this is a problem. I don't know how I'm going to get around that problem. Versus he's six foot seven <laughs> and I'm just over five foot. Right? Yeah. You're just focusing on the joy of competing that, and then figuring it out how to beat him. Yeah. No, uh, and that, yeah, that was, that was, yeah, the, the one thing that I, I do understand of my junior years. Was, was being able to see the likes of, you know, there'll be Lou Hode, you know, Sedgman, you know, Rosewall, Cooper, that, that era. And, but, but watching them play, I'm 15, 16, 17, and, and I'm watching these great champions, you know, Hode and Rosewall, and, you know, they, they've tons of tournaments that they've won. But you, you, you're watching all this, and it, it's the thing, that's how they do that. That's how it's done, and and that that I think being able to be able to watch these great players, you know, and I'm sure it happens in baseball, whether it be any of the other big sports, where young players see the their champions come through, and you think, God, it's amazing. Under a tight situation, this baseball is right there, and he's hitting a home run, and and I think that's the one thing that. You, you've got to persevere. You've got to understand that nothing just happens when you wish it to happen. It's it's if you've you've got to through the, got to go through the whole gamut of being able to compete. Yeah, and play. great message. Um, and you mentioned earlier, it's funny when you came back from Canada to the U.S. and you were sharing, oh yeah, I won these championships and everybody was so amazed. But today, um, yeah. <laughs> there's the media. And you mentioned earlier that the media wasn't as as involved, right? But now the media is everywhere, even social media. Um, and I wonder about when you were at a junior level or moving into your amateur career, what kinds of pressures did you face externally off the court? You know, I don't think I would. I, w- I really wouldn't feel like I had any extra pressure. You know, it, as as a we didn't have very many people in the press. You know, and yes, we had probably three or four press people that would be there, but they they weren't checking you out, thinking, "Oh, this is he's going to be good," and you know, whatever it might be. We didn't have that, you know. And and I think Harry Hopman, who the coach that was with the Davis Cup team for years and years and years, and he wouldn't let you talk to the press because a lot of times it's. It's, it's a negative. If, if he was teaching, if he was watching you play and, and he, if there's an interview was set up, he would be there as well. So that, you know, you wouldn't be saying something that was way off base that he, but so, you know, you, I think he was a coach of not only play, but in, in life, you know, protecting you, protecting you in many ways from something that you, not necessarily wouldn't know much about, but here you are mm-hmm. answering it. And I'm, I'm thinking, I think I, you know, 
that that I think is you know meaningful as as I grew up and went around the regular yeah, tour. Yeah, that's so helpful too to have a mentor both in sport and in life. And realizing the balance that you have as a person helps with the balance you have as an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I was, I was, you know, I think that one of the, one of the most important parts of, of the way I played, I think was just purely, you know, not, it's, it's, you're not necessarily, you're not giving up in, in something. You think, you know, you're persevering all the way through your career. And, and I think that's the one thing that maybe, helped me more than anything was that I was tenacious. I wasn't going to give up until, you know, until he made, he shook my hand and says, <laughs> I win. <laughs> but, and, and I said, no, no, you're not going to win anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm not coming off the court until I win. And I think that's the attitude that, you know, you need to have is, is that each point counts, each stroke counts. And I think, you know, if you can't just think, well, I lost that game or I won that game. You know, why, how did you win that game? Why did you lose that game? And I think it, as long as you keep it working, you know, you have that ability to, to persevere just that long, little bit longer. And, and when you walk off the court thinking, I put everything I had in this match and you come off as a winner, you know, you know your confidence soars. And I think that's, that's the one area that potentially helped me you know, win a, win a lot, lot of matches because, you know, you get, yes, I got to the final at Wimbledon in 59 or somewhere back in there, but it was, it, it, it gave me a lift because it was what the press were thinking about. And yes, I, I, I read my huh. press clippings and, and, the, and they said, well, you know, he may be in the final this, this year, but one day he's going to win this whole damn tournament. And I think, you know, when you hear that, and you and that, it puts another little bit of a spurt on you in, in your mind in practice, playing tournaments. You know how 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 much harder do I need to serve? Just getting it in isn't the name of the game. You've got to be able to work the game. You know to be working for you. So the spins, I think, were important, and I think that 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 to me, you know, was the the perseverance and the working through it. You know. Got me up up the level yeah. a few times. How did you get the nickname Rocket? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was playing. Uh, actually, it was not in I don't know fifty four, fifty five, somewhere like. And and you know Harry Harry Hopman was again. It was Harry Hopman, and and I was I could get to the ball, but sometimes I'd be lackadaisical getting to it, and 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 so so he he sort of nicknamed me the Rocket. Sort of a reverse uh. to what it was, and and the reverse is when Ken Rosewall, his his name is Muscles, that's his nickname, and because he doesn't have any, <laughs> so, so you know it, it's it's sort of the reverse mm. psychology, and that's what he did. That's what Hopman did for me. He says, "Well, you could get there a lot quicker than that," and so you know that's that's where the Brilliant. rocket came in, and of course the 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 Rockhampton rocket, which is where the team. I was came out came out of uh, Rockhampton, okay. so you know that that's that was how you know the rocket yeah, came to be, <laughs> and it, it seems like it's stuck it's yeah. stuck ever since. Yeah, it sounds almost <laughs> like a self fulfilling prophecy because you became the rocket, working so yeah. hard and running down every ball yeah. on the court. 
And, you know, I, I don't think I was trying to know the name and say, oh, I want to be known as the rocket. You know, it, that didn't, that didn't, didn't end, enter, you know, my head. So I think, you know, it's, it, it, there's a combination of things that happen all, all good, I think. Yes, there's a lot of times when you think, ha, ha, and some, and Harry, again, Harry Hopman, he say, well, yeah, how did you lose that match? You know, you were, you were for odds, odds on to win this match. And, and I think you think, you think, yeah. And then he said, well, let's, let's go and analyze it a little bit. Yeah. You know, were you making a lot of mistakes? Were you missing your first serve? Yeah. What, what, what was it? And, and I think those sort of things at a young age hit and says, okay, I, I, I actually do remember in one, I was playing Dennis Ralston in 1969 in the quarterfinals at Forest Hills. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm all of a sudden I'm down two sets to one. And I'm thinking, you know, why am I down almost? And, and uh, Roy Emerson and Fred Stolle are in the stands oh. and they're watching. And after the third set, back in those years, you, you could stop for, yeah. for 10 minutes. And, and I did thinking, well, this is better for me to stop for the moment, you know, cool down a little bit. Something's, something's going on. And they both came in and they said, you know, you're throwing the ball so low that you, not, none of your first serves yeah. are going in. And so they said, well, why don't you throw the ball up a little higher and then, you know, work, work, on, work on the point. And from then on, I was a wow. different player. So, you know, but you, you, sometimes you need help. And this was the Grand Slam in 69. So... So, you know, I'm, I'm in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and someone, someone is my savior, is Roy and Incredible, and yeah. Being, <laughs> receiving feedback and being open to it and then changing your focus. That was, that's great. Well, yeah. um, I was curious if we could talk a little bit about the transition from being an amateur to professional. And, and after reaching the professional mm-hmm. level, you won the U.S. Pro Tennis Championships five times, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> what was your mindset um, when you switched from amateur to professional, and then going through those events? Yeah, well, you know the yeah, because as as you know, as an amateur, that's that's what you are as an amateur. And and I and I said I've I've won Wimbledon a couple of times, and and I have I can't I haven't made it made a penny out of this game, and and so I I said I you know I just have to turn pro and. And I know that that was, you know, a lot of the players, whether it be, you know, the people one I mentioned, Sedgman and, you know, Hoden, Rosewall, Cooper, Anderson, you know, they all turned pro. Anyway, I, I said, yes, I think I, 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 I'm going to turn professional. And, and, and of course, you know, that you, 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 if you're looking, you're looking up, you will never play Wimbledon again because that wow. only for amateurs. And so, so, you know, I, I had to, you know, have a good talking talk to myself saying, is it okay that you're never going to play Wimbledon again? And I said, I have to turn pro because financially, you know, my bank account's yeah, empty. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have, I have to not make another living. So I've, I have to turn professional. And, and that's, you know, what turned, turned me on 1963. I decided, yes, it was time to turn professional. And, you know, I think the, you know, yes, we, yeah, we made we made some some good money, and but as but the thing the thing that you know is amazing is that 
playing every 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 night or every other night, you know, against a great player. Because I I would play Andres Jimeno, and I don't know if you know that name, but he's he's a Spanish player, and you know he he won the French Championship. He's done he's won a lot of things, and but I'm playing him nightly, and he's a, he's a he's a great great player, and so you know you learn, you know you think God, and and I was you know I was I was fed to the wolves, <laughs> yeah. I guess you might say, <laughs> back in that back in those years. But I, I finally, bit by bit by bit, I understood what they mm. were doing to me. And, and Ken Rosewall, I played with him the, the next night. Jimeno first night, Rosewall the second night. And so, and, and Ho the third, second night. But that was, that's what they gave me the opportunity to compete. And I, I, after, you know, the, the, those three years were up and open tennis came in 1968. And so that was the chance for me to get back to, as it turned out, Wimbledon, I wow. could play yeah. again there. And, and so that was, for me, that was the, probably the mo- some of the most important things. But what happened was, you know, playing the three years almost nightly, you know, I found I, I'm a better player because I'm playing against these great players. So when I came into the open tennis and I know, you know, said, uh, not Sedgman, but Emerson and Stolly and they said, holy, he, you know, where's that weak little second serve you used to throw at me <laughs> as an amateur? And and I I said, well, hey, I'm playing Hode and Gonzalez and these guys, you you can't you can't do that. And so, you know, I I had to pick up my whole game. And so I, I then thought to myself, and I I was I was playing you know in various various tournaments and and my I I told my wife I said I want I want to I want to enter because this is the first year of open tennis and this is the first mm. Australian that would be open so Australia the French Wimbledon and and the US I I just want to be I want to enter in all four of them. And yeah, that's and yeah. It, it's just something yeah. I want to do. And she she said, "Go ahead. It's your it's your your career." And and so you know, I played some of my best tennis, and a lot of people felt, "God, this is he's, he's a different player." Because none of the Arthur Ashe and Tom Ocker and all the way down the line hadn't seen me play wow. like this. And so so you know, it was it was an opportunity to play the whole circuit. Yeah, with my new game. <laughs> so, so the Grand Slam in '69 was, you know, I think a lot of players didn't realize it until it was mm-hmm. over how, how much I had improved as a player. Yeah, that's incredible. And and again, here comes the perseverance with the learning curve and exposing yourself to that. It, I mean, it sounds like that's carried you through your career. And it's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. In, in 1962, you won the Grand Slam as an amateur, all those those four major tournaments. Right. And then again in 69, like you were saying, you won it at the open level when it when it was open. The first was that the first year it, it open tennis came up. That was that was the second second year of open tennis. That was 68 was the first year of, was was for, and I and I actually I was in the final in 1968. At Wimbledon, and I I played uh, and I beat Tony Roach in the f- first Open Wimbledon, and so 
you know, it was, you know, it was, it, there's, 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 I was just given the opportunities at the specific time that my whole game was playing its mm-hmm. best tennis. And, and I think, you know, yeah, I, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> I had a silver spoon in my <laughs> mouth or something, but it, but it, it just, I'm, you know, I, I just enjoyed the competition. And I think that's the one thing that, you know, you, it doesn't matter who you, whether you win or lose, but you're enjoying it and competing. And I think, you know, you, you watch a lot of uh, any of the sports, but sometimes some of them golf sort of you know, hits home and you think, how's Jack Nicholas? how can he win sure. all these tournaments? This is, it's amazing. And, and with the virus yeah. that's been going on, you got all the replays, you know, of uh, Jack's, you know, British Open or the U.S. Open, or and I'm thinking, I mean, it's 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 minute when you think of some of them, but what goes into being a champion is, you know, the, you look at Palmer and Nicholas and Player, you think, God, it's how do they do this? You know, and and it's year round, and so do you? Don't you ever get tired? And I, I look at them, they just love the game, just compete. And actually, I talked talk to Gary Player not long ago, and I, I said, you know, how can you be so good and so competitive for all these years? Because I, I, I saw Gary down in, in Johannesburg, and, and he, he came to the tennis, and you know, he, he's, he, now he's just a young, young guy playing and Maybe he gets to the final of some of these tournaments. And he says, no, I just love the – I just – I'm out there to play because I love the, yeah. love the game. And I think that's, that's something that the players of today, I don't think, are pay, pl- playing enough attention to that portion of, of their game. You know, you, you, it's one thing to go and play and play a match and hop off the court and you think, yeah, that was all right, and and that's as far as it goes. But I think, you know, I'm sure in golf they'd be saying, God, if I hadn't missed that one putt back at the 14th hole, you know, this would be different now. And so I think that's the way I that's the way I felt at many times. And you and you hitting hitting shots that you know are great. Then all of a sudden you hit a, hit a patch that says you, you're serving doubles, you're hitting yeah. the balls out. And you think, why is this happening? And so I think you, you've got to pay attention and play your best all the way through a match, not just for four or five sure. minutes. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds so important. But, you know, the, the joy and love of the game is your motivation. That's your why. And you're mm-hmm. right. I, I see that also. A lot of young players either don't have a strong sense of why they're playing or they just lose track of it along the way. And mm-hmm. uh, it's something that's so important to keep coming back to, especially when you're struggling. Yeah, and I, I know that when I look at look at today's young players, and yes, they, they win a few matches here and there, but, but they're not following it back up like you just mentioned. You know, you've got to be able to, you know, follow up a, a match where – you you had a had a, a tough win, but you got mm-hmm. through it. So you don't relax. Then this is when you have to be better and and don't let that happen again. Attitude. And I think that's the one thing that today's young players. Yeah, they yeah they practice hard. Everything about it. And and I, this, I must admit, there's probably fifteen or twenty. If if you could 
master the idea of making them you know pay attention all the way through their career because a lot of times they'll win a win a match or win a tournament and say and then you don't see them for you know sure, four or five yeah. weeks where did they go and and I think that's the one thing that you know you've got you've got to persevere but you've got to have sort of an inner love with you know a, the tennis yep. match that's it yeah every part of the tennis match and every part of what you're doing yeah mm-hmm. that's great advice too <laughs> uh, so timely especially while we're in this covid shutdown in this postponement of sports it becomes even more important I, yeah yeah i think the the french championships are going to start up in september i believe yeah if 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 it's able to go on but i think that the players are looking forward to getting back to competition some of them are playing some some tennis but with no crowds mm-hmm. in the audience and so you know i know that the golfers are doing that and it, it, they said it, it's it's hard to concentrate through it and and know exactly where you are in in, in a match whether you you know three under or three over you know in a golf match you've got to be able to stay with it yes. long enough and i think that's that's a, you know you, you know you You've all seen Roger Federer and Nadal play. And do you ever see them not trying, not trying? You know, they're always trying. They're all, sometimes they're inventing a new shot that for them is, is, is hard to do. But it, it, whether it's a topspin shot that goes across the court quick and dips, you know, it, it takes years of practice mm-hmm. to make that happen. And some of these guys are doing that. And I think, you know, that's why they keep, that's why they keep winning tournaments, but also, you know, they're, they're getting better yeah. as well. Yep. Yeah. And you mentioned before even having those moments on the court and I've seen it with Federer. I've seen it with Nadal or Djokovic or whomever um, learning when to sort of reset yourself or you realize, okay, something's off. I, I need to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me use this changeover for, for a reset almost. Um, but with you and, and when you were playing, did you have any um, superstitions or maybe pre-point routines or pre-match routines that you went through? You know, I, I really didn't. Uh, I, I didn't feel like there was something that, you know, whether you got a, a lucky lucky coin in your pocket yeah. or <laughs> some of, the, some of that, that crazy stuff that people yeah, do have. I've seen it. <laughs> it, it, it. It does work that way. But, uh, you know, no, it, I, I think you go in there with an open outlook when you're playing, you know, you know, whether it be, you know, it's just not dumb things, but things saying, hey, well, you know, before I walk on the court on mass, sometimes you, you brush your teeth. You know, you, you're doing something that's a little different, but, it, that, but I think it keys, keys you up to the, to the match you're yeah. about to play. And, and, and you're not going in, you know, you know, if you lose your first serve, now all of a sudden, yeah, now you're catching up all the time. And so make sure you walk on the court prepared to go full out at the beginning. And don't let, don't let anybody persuade you into saying, Oh, you know, he, he's, he's not very good. You shouldn't have any trouble with him. And, and I thought, well, I have trouble with everyone <laughs> because my, my game doesn't work. Just I, I, it, my game has to work, work through a, a lot of shots like that. And so I'm, you know, I feel, that that's the way you know when you're walking on the court though be prepared to go full out if he's maybe he starts he starts quicker than you do 
and 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 not. No, I shouldn't say quicker, but he's just just he's not making yeah. errors. And 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 when you when you, when you're playing somebody, you better not be making any errors. And I think that's 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 what I tried to do when I played matches was be prepared to play the match, you know, and be fit enough that you can go five yeah. sets if you've you know, and that's that's important. So you know, yeah, fitness fitness certainly in tennis is 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 a it's it's a big that's, that's it's a big item that. You know, a lot of players don't pay attention because they they get they they get into the the third set or something and they think, you know, I've I've had enough. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Well, um, I think you're you've given us so much information about the mental side, but I mm. wonder just from your career, if you're thinking about a greatest moment on the tennis court, what do you remember the most? Oh boy, you know, I I, I would think that playing playing at Wimbledon. And, and and winning Wimbledon is certainly got to be a feather in my cap. I'm something that you've played some great tennis, but there's other t- other things that you know. I've I played Davis Cup for Australia, and we yes we won it I think five times. And so, but just representing your country, you know, was one of the highlights of of a career. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those I you know the. World Championship Tennis or WCT, you know, I played Rosewall in 71 and 72. Uh, 72 was a tiebreaker wow. in the fifth set. Yeah, yes, yes, I lost it. But at the same time, that was, that's one of the, you know, the great matches that you played you know, in those years. You know, even, even a loss is a win because, you know, so many people saw that match. And so tennis really was amazing how, much it was cha- it changed. I know, I know Bud Collins and Jim Simpson, you know, commentators, and the NBC who was who was mm-hmm. covering it. You know, they said, "Well, we get we're, pretty soon we we've got to stop for the six o'clock news." And so we we it, we, uh, we had the the tennis match had been preempted for th- about three hours because it was a, a four hour match, and so and and so. And so they they said, well, you know, we'll give give you three minutes, and then we're going to have to break off, and we'll bring back the tennis after the news. And 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 at the last minute, you know, NBC said, no, we're going oh, great. all the way through. <laughs> and so you know, those sort of things happen, and that could have just flattened flattened the, the sure. match itself. And so, but but as it turned out, yes, Ken was was the winner, and. Yeah, we we did. We had we well, we had many great yeah. matches. Yeah, I love that too. You know, even when you lose, you win. That's a that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. so important, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, that was that was that was just a a great feeling. The tennis, you know, because it was just starting to blossom out in in and open tennis had finally got here. You know, we uh, go back to uh, to uh, Jack Kramer. And he he would turn pros turn pro pros of the Wimbledon generally it was the Wimbledon champion he turned pro for X amount of money and and but after that you know you've 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 got you've got to be able to you know go go through the whole era of life and I think that's that was the one thing that you know open tennis did it it was amazing to see the the explosion of tennis 
you know, rackets, tennis balls, you just went booming. And I think that that was great. And I think our match mm-hmm. probably helped. It. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the technology and the improvements in the tennis game today and how the even how you see the professional tennis culture and environment changing in the ways that you didn't see it when you competed. What's different today? Well, amateur, certainly amateur tennis and, you know, with wooden rackets. I played with a Dunlop wooden racket and there was at that stage there were no composite rackets or metal rackets. And I think that that was the one big change in tennis, you know, from the amateur world to the pro world. Yes, they had a, had a few rackets out as amateurs, but it hadn't, they hadn't perfected them. You know, there was like, it was stiffness. You know, you didn't, you didn't really enjoy them at all. And then, then they bit by bit, it improved. And, and I think that has been the one thing, you know, you're looking at a racket, a wooden racket has got a little head about this size, but with a, you know, a, a, a metal racket, they can be so much, you know, you, you can't, you, you can't have a, you, you could have a wooden racket that would be, the size of you know a tennis mm-hmm. medal, but it's but that that'd be you know sixteen eighteen pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so you 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 can't you, you you can't do that. And so now that they've got these metal rackets and they're far they're fast, you can put heavy topspin on the ball, slicing today's players. You see the guys now that are six foot mm-hmm. six foot eight uh, down to seven down to seven feet. So. You know, they, they're serving aces eight or ten in a set. And, and so, you know, it, 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 in some ways it's, it's unfortunate, but the big tall guys, you know, yes, they're, they're an advantage, you know, by able to serve the big serve, but I'm thinking it's not helping the game. The game is, isn't very much fun to watch. It's seeing guys serve aces all the time and, and no rallies. And so mm. now what do you do? And so, you know, it, there's, you know, I don't know whether there's, there's an exact answer for that other, other than the fact is maybe everybody just gets one. No, serve. That would change some things. That's it. That, that's that. I mean, that's, diff, I mean, that's being drastic, but now all of a sudden the, the big tall guy, now he's, he's at a disadvantage because, you know, a lot of times a big tall person doesn't move around mm-hmm. the court very well. And, 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 he he wins the points, you know, with his serve, and so you know, there's lot, lots of things that have have been going on, and I, you know, I think tennis is in good shape at the moment. It's it's great that all the players, and you've got you know guys like Roger Federer and you know Nadal, Djokovic, all you know love the game and compete, and they participate in social mm. things, and I think that's been sure. great for the yeah. game. Can you imagine your spin with uh, the metal rackets today if you had them back then? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> that could be dangerous. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I was curious mm-hmm. about, you know, you mentioned a few great names in today's world. And I always think today, whenever Federer and Nadal play, it's a huge rivalry. Um, but in, in your day, who was your greatest rival, and, and how did you approach those rival matches? Um, I guess as an amateur, I think Roy Emerson was my nemesis. He he was he was the he was the guy that got to most finals, and so 
you know, I played him in 1962 when I won the Grand Slam as an amateur. You know, I, I played him in, in three of three of the four matches, the Australian, the French, and the US. And Wimbledon, for some reason, I think Roy Emerson injured himself. But so, you know, we, we, were play, we played each other all the time as amateurs. And then, of course, as an open, you know, Ken Roswell was always the person that I competed against. And he, he, even though he was a little older, he was still playing some of his best tennis. And I think that was, you know, he was, he, he was a comp, his competition. And I don't know. Yes, you, 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 you practice certain shots. He's got a, he's got a great backhand, but he only has a, a small regular serve, nothing big. And, but he volleys well. He does everything else. He, I think he's got, you know, his serve is probably the only mark against him. The rest of his game is, Great tennis, and so you know you you have to you know you've always got to go to someone's strength to get to their mm-hmm. weakness, mm-hmm. and and that, and I would play you know someone's like Rosewall. I'd play his strength until I can get it to his his forehand side, which was a little weaker. And so you you you're thinking along the line all the way down the line, thinking you know where's where's best to where, is it best just to hit him hit him short on his forehand. Is it best to, to drop shot? You know, any of those type of things, you, 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 it sort of, it's mulling on in your head. And not, not that it's confusing, but the next time I have this opportunity, I'm going to go this way. And, and so, you know, you, you feel like you're, you're participating all the way through, even though it's a four yeah. hour match, you're still thinking of, of, a, of, of ways to yeah. win this. So you're match. keeping your head in the match. You're well prepared by understanding their strengths and, their weaknesses, but again, like you said earlier, really focusing and examining your own game and what are you going to bring mm-hmm. to that and what are you going to attack what, based on your strengths and your game. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's that was pretty much the way I I, I played. Uh, you know, all my tennis. You know, you yes, you know, you I know his game with from playing Rosewall. You know, I know exactly. You know, can I play well enough playing his best tennis with his best tennis and my best tennis? I want to bring my level up to be able to be competitive, and then with some some small things that happen within a match, you know, you you're you're on the right curve. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's that's where you know, and you know, sure, with, you know, in that match in '72 with uh, Ken Rosewall, you know, we went all the way to a tiebreaker wow. in the fifth set, and 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 you know, he he played he played a good tiebreaker, and I probably should have played. Somewhat different, but at the same time, I'm I'm in a winning position into the fifth set. I I wouldn't say I was doing it wrong, and so I think that's when you know I sure I I, I did I went to his backhand, pulled pulled him off court, and you know he hit, he hit two two great shots, and that put put me in the in the in a problem. But you know I I'd done I'd done that all my all my three hours. You know, I worked on his backhand, went to his weak side, and so you know, you you go, you you stay with what mm-hmm. you you know mm-hmm. when yeah. you're playing like that's, that. That's that's great. That's a great uh, advice mm-hmm. piece of advice and takeaway. Well, Rod, um, thank you, thank you so much. <clears throat> uh, just the last question here, and I, I have a feeling it's going to be very very great for young athletes and current pros and everybody, even outside the tennis world. But what advice? 
would you give to athletes aspiring to be a professional tennis athlete today? Oh, boy. I, I don't know if there's any, any real answer to that question. But I think, you know, if, if, if there's anything, you know, when, you, when you're playing, you know, and learning the game and, and, you know, and you're playing well enough and you potentially you can, you can go a long way in the game, I think you, you, you've, you've got to, you know, understand that there's ups and downs in this game. And if you if you're prepared to put the effort in, I think fitness is certainly one of the things that you you need to have in 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 today's competition. You know, I know that you know stroke production and all that, but that should be good now. You know, you, you you've you you're just taking on and you're just moving past. Your stroke production is good. Everything's good now. I got to I've got to be a be a better player. So now now you've got to. All those that effort back in the junior junior level or the open level as you're getting better, but you can't you can't let players get away with some of the matches that they're getting away with if you're just playing very ordinary at varying times. And so, how do you improve the the chance to go from a a, a great player, you know, in in the game? You've you've got to be able to do it mm. all the time. And I think. The more you can get to the finals and semifinals of matches and win, that's where your confidence mm -hmm. comes back. I think confidence is the first thing that you, you've got to accomplish, and that's playing matches, winning matches. Yeah, that's a great answer. And so consistent, even with the, with the whole story that, that you shared with us from your career. It always starts with preparation mm -hmm. and fitness <clears throat> level, but then it turns into sticking with it exposing yourself to matches, to high-level competition, consistently putting yourself in a place to win uh, by focusing on your yeah. game and coming back for more. Yeah, Brian, that's, that's the way, you know, you probably, saw, you probably said it a lot better than I said it just now, but it's one, one of those things that, you know, you, 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 you see what's happening and you can see it through other players, you know, see it whether it be Federer, how does he? How does he get out of matches that he was totally out of control with? You know, he's you're, you're a player, but he has that next reserve energy, and just have a, he has that one more thing that he can bring to the match. And I think that's that's what players of today, you know, they're probably better off watching some of the tennis that today's players are doing. And like I did when I was with with young age, when I was seventeen, eighteen. And seeing you know these young players, just regular playing thing. How did they do that? I mean, it's it just doesn't it doesn't happen easily. And I think that's what today's players I think should should you know gear up to watch some of the players, and then 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 going back and and practice with some yeah, of those players. Great, great. Well, thanks, Rod. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I know you you got the Labor Cup scheduled again for next year i think it's coming back to the u.s but uh where can people follow along in in maybe social media do you do you do any social media or do you have any links that you direct them to no not really but but yes the the uh the labor cup will be in in boston which was this year but it was postponed for you and it'll it'll be the the month of september next year and that i think it was it was sold out as of last year, so I think everybody was given their tickets back. But but I think that to me, I know that Roger Federer is is 
the, the real reason why this came about. He, he felt that the, the team competition, you know, is, is, is great for the game. And so it was Europe versus the rest of the world. And I think that's, that's the one, one thing that he's, pr- he's proud of. And, and that's when he came, came to me, you know, and he says, you know, we, we want to put a name on it. We'd like to put your name on it because, you know, you've, you've won the Grand Slam. You've done this. And, and I said, well, how about your name? It's pretty good too. <laughs> and he said, he said, no, this, it's, this is open. This is now what you've done for open tennis and amateur tennis. You know, it's right to have your name on the, if you'll, if you'll do it, we'll do it. And so I was said, I was honored to be part of it. That's Roger. great. Well, thanks again, Rod. We're honored to have you on here and sharing all of your wisdom and insights on the mental game and how you approach tennis. So thank you, Rod. Thank you, Brian. That was my, my pleasure to be here with you. Hey, Brian. Great interview. Uh, Rod Labor, what an iconic legend in the tennis world. And um, there were so many good tidbits and details that came out. I hope all the listeners take note to everything he said and um, share it with their friends and family and uh, give us a review on that because it, it just it just kind of shines light on how much uh, detail and things go into be a legend like, like Rod. So how was it? Like, what would you uh, glean from that that came out the most? Yeah, well, I, I felt so fortunate to be able to interview such a champion in his sport and a legend, maybe even a greatest of all time. Um, there aren't too many athletes who were able to dominate in such a long period of time, as long as Rod did. And um, I think, you know, with everybody here, just being able to share his takeaways from his career and what he learned and, and his messages for other people other young tennis players coming up and trying to achieve some level of their greatness. I think it's a great way to, to learn and, and, and um, expose yourself to what it takes. Yeah, I mean, and history is such a good learning process and he gave us such a good historical look at um, how to be a, an amazing competitor. Um, he mentioned a lot of stuff. What came out to you in the interview that like stood out in terms of like his approach to tennis and competition? The biggest thing I think is the learning curve and understanding that there is a learning curve. For him, he mentioned the process he went through coming over as a junior and playing in the iconic tournament of Wimbledon and how different it was really back then versus how it is now. The the media wasn't as, as big then, but I mean, competing in Wimbledon as a junior and then working his way up into um, the amateur level of tennis, which um, for our listeners, amateurs, they were playing, they weren't really being paid. You know, now tennis athletes are making millions of dollars. Back in his day, they weren't making any until they went into the professional realm and then open tennis started. Um, But yeah, I I think um, that learning curve idea is really important. And I relate it to the the research that, you know, the late Anders Ericsson, he just passed away actually this year. Um, but I related to his research around the idea of deliberate practice, where as a performer or some anyone that's working towards becoming an expert in anything, it's the idea of 10,000 hours. But it, it's not really about the length of time it takes because it's not 10,000 hours in everything. It's It changes depending on the difficulty of what you're trying to work on. But the key here is that 
you have a goal in mind or you have a domain, something that you're really working towards, and then you have expert level feedback. And his expert level feedback was from coaches. It was from his own game, like when he was starting and everybody was saying, wow, you you hit a lot of topspin and he's just going for it on every shot. And, and they're saying, if you start getting those in, we better watch out. But right now it's a little bit inconsistent. So he was learning along the way from his own play and from other people's feedback and then using his um, imagery skills, his visualization skills to understand it and then just go for it. And then again, repeat that cycle. I think that takes a long time um, in the learning curve. It speeds up and it slows down at different times. And sometimes you don't even feel like you're making any progress. You're just kind of trying to work towards something that you hope is gonna happen. But um, I think that's a big one. And just the perseverance aspect of that. Yeah, like um, the perseverance and tenacity, you know, how he approached everything. Like he was always trying to figure out how to win win and beat his opponent, like either when he was on, on the court or off the court. In the middle of a match, he was focusing on the solution of like, okay, here's a problem. He's bigger, he's a taller server. Uh, how, do, how do I win this match? Um, and, and it's interesting because some people, you know, maybe just have that embedded in them. I'm not sure how much mental skills training was a, or sports psychology was even a focus at the time he was playing. And he was already introducing these, you know, components to himself or through his coach. And, um, but I think the key point that we, we talk about a lot is that you can build that, you can learn uh, perseverance and you can train yourself to be uh, more tenacious on the court and figure out how to be solution focused in the moment. And he came back to that. A lot of his principles were just like simple, very concrete principles on how to be better and how to win. And that's why I loved listening to everything he was saying because it just, it drove it home in a concrete way. Um, and that last piece that he mentioned a lot was gaining confidence is, is one of the most important things you need to gain. And the way you do that is by playing in higher level arenas and platforms and better better players. And he was willing to put himself in that position over and over again. Yeah, um, that, that's definitely right on point, Ami. I, I can relate to that right now. I'm, I've been playing a little tennis during COVID and <laughs> signed up for this men's ladder, this league and playing against guys that played in college and in high school. And I'd never played before besides the last few months and just getting my butt kicked But man. I'm definitely getting better, even though I'm losing a lot. I think that's key, you know, exposing yourself to that and being okay with the results, but focusing more on the process of how you get better and how you compete every single point. The the last piece, Brian, that I, I thought was interesting was his, his role of his coach in his life. What did you think about that? Yeah, we're finding that a lot in these interviews, aren't we? Just mentors in these athletes' lives that teach them so much and really become pivotal to the success that they achieve. Um, I think his coach definitely supported him in a way that allowed him to be himself and allowed him to um, pursue the game of tennis in the way that he saw it. However, he definitely, there was a lot of good, you know, it goes back to that aspect of becoming an expert, right? There's a lot of good expert feedback um, that he chose to take in his own way and apply it his, to his game. But uh, it's so important having that having that really uh, solid foundation of a, of support in your in your corner. Yeah, especially as a young athlete and and traveling and and all the you know life challenges that go outside the sport, which we also make mention to a lot. 
in, in kind of our platform, which I thought was great that he, he pointed to is, is there's definitely a need to take, you know, full attention to things that are going on around you, not just on, on the court, there's other things that are happening. And, and his coach really helped him through some of that. And, and I'm glad he made mention to that and gave him the, the nickname, the rocket. I love that. The, the <laughs> yeah. Rocket. Wasn't that interesting? He used it as a reverse psychology approach, something that yeah. he, he wanted him to be a rocket, but he wasn't showing that. And so he just started calling him that until he, you know, started operating and behaving as a rocket on the court. Exactly, exactly. So that was such a great interview. Um, I'm so I'm so excited that you were able to to have this conversation with Rod. And he was able to give us so much good little tidbits that we can all walk away with. And I hope the listeners, um, you know, take point. And, and listen to a lot of what he was he was saying um, and share it again. Uh, this is information that just we all better from. So thank you so much, Brian, and much, much thanks to, to Rod, of course, uh, giving him his story to us. Um, so with that, we'll, we'll end and ha- have a great day. And thanks again. Yeah, thanks, Tommy. have a desire to be great in what you do and a keen interest in the mental aspects of performance then you're in the right place. Well You Mental Training seeks to push the edge of the mental game through evidence-based practices and stories from athletes similar to the one you're listening to today. Your collaboration matters as part of this process so please head over to iTunes and leave us a review with your honest feedback on the podcast. We'd love to hear what you have to say. If you are as excited about the mental training stories you're hearing as we are, please share this podcast with your friends, family, and teammates too. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WellUApp. That's W-E-L-L-U-A-P-P. And learn more about the work our mental coaches are doing through LinkedIn and Facebook.